Hello, everyone. Welcome to Rash's World. Today we have a special guest, Kristen Ragison. Welcome to Rash's World. Oh, thank you so much. It's so wonderful to be here with you. That's wonderful. So um, how would you introduce yourself here briefly to our audience? What would you say? I would say that I'm a pragmatic optimist who actually sees a beautiful future for us, even in the midst of chaos. That sounds very good. That's a, that's a great introduction. Great. And so uh, you're an author, you're a wealth management consultant, a certified digital currency professional, which sounds really cool. And uh, maybe you can talk about that because I'm not too sure. Uh, you're also a mountain climber. <laughs> and, have, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, actually. That's amazing. And you have uh, your latest book is The End of Scarcity, the dawn of the new abundant world. So I'd really like to dive into that and, and talk about it. Um, how do you talk about scarcity and an abundance? What do you have to say here about, what do you talk about in your book specifically? Absolutely. I reveal the exact source of where scarcity comes from. Hmm. So, you know, it's scarcity is sort of almost this underlying current in our lives, no matter how much money people have or don't. And it's curious, I think that we really are lost, especially right now, arguing about politics and economics and social issues and becoming more fractured. And even though each person feels that they're right, there's sort of a knowing going on that we're not really getting anywhere. And, um, and, and as much as we try to convince ourselves, there's something else waiting for us to discover. Mm -hmm. I, I think uh, you talk about you're changing our perspective about money. I think a lot of it comes down to our mindset. And so how would you say, do we see money? Do we perceive money currently? And how should we shift? In what way should we take that? Absolutely. We need to have a complete role reversal. Right now, we are living for money. Money is our master. It's the most impactful um, element in society. And yet we have a totally unconscious relationship with money itself. You know, I like to say that we probably have an idea of how to earn it or get it. And we probably have an idea of how to spend it and sometimes invest it. And it stops there. And that's the dangerous point, because it's 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 this totally unconscious relationship with this powerful, powerful influence in our lives. Mm -hmm. And I like that you mentioned the unconscious. That's something I'm very fascinated with myself. It's like how, how we're doing something and we're, we're thinking a certain way, but there's all these other unconscious factors that, uh, that play in and that influence our decisions in many ways. And we're not even aware of them. Not at all. You know, the way we sort of hit the ground running on this earth is we see the sun and the moon and the stars and, and the weather or gravity and money. So we just assume that money is a force of nature. It's something not to be questioned. It exists and we have to find a way to thrive with it or survive with it. But money is something so totally different. It is a social agreement that we create together. Mm -hmm. And um, when we first decide that it's better to live together, that we're doing better in communities than, you know, each one of us spending for ourselves in the woods. And so because we live together with our present level of consciousness, we engage in the tool of money to facilitate our contributions with each other and to make life better. Mm -hmm. um, but the, and that's probably where the story begins. 
I, I like it because I've always seen money as, as important, but more as a means to an end. And many people pursue it as an end and they think they have money and that's it. That's all they want. But it's more like, like a kind of energy that gives you opportunities that you can, that you can move around, that you can do things with. And, uh, and a lot of people are just like pretending it's the thing they're looking for. It's like their holy grail, money itself. But and its own, it's 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 pretty worthless if you don't do anything with it. It's it's just stagnant. Well, yeah, and in fact, when we really come down to the right definition of money, you know, it's just that people um, will say it's power or it's it's energy or it's something that allows us. In fact, the right definition of money is it's simply a technology. It's mm-hmm. simply a tool. It should be a neutral tool that helps us. But we're really confused. We don't understand the difference between wealth and money. Mm-hmm. And um, and wealth and money are so completely separate. In fact, money is in service to wealth. And yeah. often I said to people, you know, gosh, money is not wealth. And then they've looked at me and said, well, what on earth is money then? Or what is wealth then? This is so mm-hmm. incredibly confusing. Mm-hmm. So what, what would be the, the, the big difference here uh, uh, for, for people, the difference between money and wealth? Yeah. So wealth is truly inseparable from our being. Mm-hmm. Every single child that comes into this world is a wealthy, creative being with the divine essence flowing through them. There is some unique gift that each being carries with them, whether it's going to get realized or not. Well, that's the question. But as soon as a community has a new baby, the wealth of that community has now increased. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of living in a world where money could be outside of us. So then we perceive our wealth is outside of us, even could be separated from us, but it can't. Um, it is the passions and the creativity and the imagination that's flowing through us. Mm-hmm. And even when we're tired or when we're beaten down, it still whispers to us saying, come, there's something that you want to express, you want to create. And that's something other people want, want from you. Mm-hmm. And this is wealth. Mm-hmm. So um, in lies the difference. Money is actually the tool that we created to facilitate our wealth exchange with one another and the development of the expression of this wealth. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of also reminds me of how, how it really started too. If you look at the history of money, like we started, like we had bartering and trading and all that. And then we, we brought in this kind of like uh, a different way, the symbolic way of, of uh, dealing with each other that, that had a value. And then we took that for the real thing. And so I think that's something. And is that close to the true money revolution of maybe moving beyond that, of, of seeing it more as like, again, a means, not so much as an end? Well, it really, you know, we are truly on the precipice of this massive money revolution. I don't even think we've come as a community to quite concept. Next year, we could be redefining the dollar itself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and even as we look at cryptocurrencies and, blo- you know, blockchain, blockchain is different than cryptocurrencies, but Bitcoin and all the different things, they, we have not begun the money revolution. So um, cryptocurrencies are just a reiteration of our existing system. They're helpful but no way um, is it the money revolution. So we are on that precipice. And as soon as we start to understand what money is exactly, okay, it's a neutral technology, it's a tool. And if it's here to help us exchange our wealth with one another, huh. And in the end of scarcity, we learn exactly where scarcity comes from, exactly how money, the formula, the simple formula that money is supposed to follow and the history of money. 
And I'll tell you the fascinating thing about history of money is we never bartered. Can you believe that? Oh, okay. <laughs> right. So it's really surprising because I think we've all grown up with that concept yes. that money was created to facilitate barter. Uh -huh. In essence, we barter today. So if I go to get a cup of coffee, I walk into the store and I'm trading previous consulting services that I've given and I'm, I'm valuing it. I'm saying, okay, that's a fair trade. And it's been monetized. Yeah. Now, years in, in the history, the anthropologists have never been able to find barter in the record. Oh. Um, so it's a story that um, was made up uh, really, even from Adam Smith, as they were trying to get capitalism to liberate some of our more congested ways of of operating, um, but yeah, it's it's that's that's a big part of it too. That's fascinating. I was uh, I was also thinking like we all value money, but what if somebody does not value it? And we we saw it it happened during the Great Depression where people had lots of money and they went and they couldn't get a coffee, as you're saying. But what if you go to a store and you say, you know what, I'm not interested in your money. I mean, that would be that would be shocking for the other person. That what do you mean? But it makes kind of sense, I think. Well, you know, in the Great Depression, most of the people who were doing the work or wanted to do the work in order to get things couldn't earn money because there wasn't enough money circulating. Mm -hmm. And um, and people who actually had lots of money weren't actually spending it or needing to earn it so that money wasn't circulating. And we were operating at that time with the wrong principle that money is a thing, that it's actually an object that exists out there independently from us. Mm -hmm. And why wouldn't we believe that? But that's actually what led to the Great Depression. Um, because money at the dollar has been designed over and over and over. We've actually had eight different iterations of it in the United States since the history of the United States. And there have been a few times where we've had um, the right model of money, money, which unleashed lots of abundance. And then most of the time, though, we've used a wrong form of the dollar, which has created this illusion of scarcity this thing that we're getting ready to end and have the potential to liberate humanity like never before. Mm. But when money is created as a thing and created as a thing that is scarce to have value, now all the confusion begins because it can be cornered. It can be um, created in too little supply and it doesn't flow where the real people are working. And that's been the majority of the history of humanity. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like also to, to a degree supply and demand, but it's just like an illusion of it where you think there is less than there is in real life. Is, is that true? Is that a true depiction of it? Mm -hmm. um, you know, there there is real supply and demand of our wealth, right? So all the resources on this planet, all the services we do for one another, all our imagination, we could really quantify our supply and demand of our services and our products. Mm -hmm. Quantity of money um, should be in service to that supply and demand, mm -hmm. but we're the, the vast majority of our history, too little money as a token, too little dollars have been flowing where that supply and demand has wanted to exchange. And that's why we've been living with this illusion of scarcity. Mm -hmm. And then instead, we, we don't know to look there. Why would we ever question our money? Mm -hmm. And instead, we argue about our politics. Should it be socialism? Should it be capitalism? Is it red, white, blue, purple? Um, and then now social issues are really coming to the forefront. These are symptoms of the problem. Mm -hmm. And um, and when you really get down to it, the, the difficult part is that po a political solution, economic or social solution will never work. 
It will, we can never make a change in, in these avenues. We have to make the change by getting conscious of what money is and then designing it properly. And then boom, everything changes. That's fascinating. But what about, uh, is there any drawbacks to abundance? Like that kind of abundant model, would there be any negative sides to it as well? There really wouldn't because, you know, when people have said that in the past, well, you know, it's, it's a planet with finite resources. We <laughs> have all different kinds of worries about um, the type of energy we're using, the polluting, all these kinds of things. Um, climate change or or the lack of resources comes from scarcity that's where it comes from mm -hmm. and you can't even fix these ideas with sustainability you actually can only fix them with abundance mm -hmm. because when the cup runs over people start to get satiated and they're living in the mindset of abundance and now they know they want to give and guess what you actually even want less at that point because you're finding real fulfillment which is helping each other, seeing your creations, you know, when, when you contribute to someone else, I, I really believe you have a chance to find out who you are, because mm -hmm. we don't know who we are until we see the impact that we possibly have on one another. And we surprise ourselves too, or it surprises us when it happens. And I think I, I see two things. There's a vicious cycle. We kind of get trapped in it. And there's also self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you think like there is scarcity, then you are projecting that and that becomes your reality. That's right. That's right. You know, the most curious thing is that um, we literally don't have money in our society today. We, we, you know, and even when you ask people, um, where does money come from? Does the government create it? Is it backed by gold? And I'll tell you, this illusion of scarcity gets created because we are using mortgage debt mm -hmm. temporarily to operate as our money. And so we have to make people go into debt. Can you imagine? Because if people don't go into debt, we have no money circulating in our society. And then the worst part is that when that debt is repaid, because it's like a yo-yo, that money is coming into existence like a quarter. The head side, it looks like money. The tail side is someone's debt. But when that debt is repaid, that money is extinguished and it no longer is in our society. So if everybody repaid their debt or the government paid the debt, we would have a depression of unforeseen proportion. So what should we do about that? <laughs> so when, once we learn, okay, we are in charge, we are incredibly abundant because we are wealth is part of our nature, right? We get the right definition of wealth, which is the beauty of who we are. And now all of a sudden, we now look at the money mechanics and we learn there are three functions that money has. Number one, it becomes like a tool of measurement. It helps us value the exchanges that we are we're contributing with one another. It becomes a receipt for the person who gave those services or products to the other. And then it's a store of value. But the big difference when we create money properly, like a ruler with an inch, that inch remains an inch remains an inch. And when our money is mortgage debt or, or credit card debt or hospital or college debt, it does not remain. The value of the purchasing power continues to get lost. Mm -hmm. And um, now when we store our wealth that we've previously given to others and that it loses its value like a cup with no bottom. Mm -hmm. So um, now once we find out, okay, money has some basic rules, this tool, this technology, just like the phone helps us have a conversation or Zoom helps us have a meeting. Is it a good technology? Mm -hmm. um, is the technology of money we're using as the dollar made out of mortgage debt a good one? No, and it's not even neutral. In fact, it is what produces scarcity. 
-hmm. And so could it be possible that society could come together and redefine money? Well, I think that the crypto, um, you know, Bitcoin and the whole advance of this has shown us, yes, it is possible. And we are on the precipice of seeing a massive new opportunity that any community, state, country, corporation will do this. And when we look at the past 5,000 years of history, in fact, our ancestors did this many, many times. Every time there was a Renaissance period, they recreated the money and they did it properly. So we are at that stage currently. There's like, that's the dawn that is uh, waiting for us. That's the dawn. That's really why, you know, the subtitle of the book is the dawn of the new abundant world. It almost became the title, but we need to begin with the end of scarcity. Mm-hmm. And um, and the difference is the reason why we're standing at this precipice where no, no civilization, no um, stage of humanity has ever been is because we're intersecting with this ancient knowledge. It's, it's knowledge that our great grandparents knew. They knew how money worked. And it's starting to come back into the consciousness, but it's intersecting with blockchain. Mm-hmm. And so this also relates to our consciousness, though, because um, the, you know we're reaching the level of self-responsibility, where we're no longer looking to leaders or economists or people to sort of save us. Um, you know, I think we all have come to the hush point of being disappointed or confused and saying, wow, you know, there's no one really here who can save us. And my belief is that's wonderful. That's actually the point of maturation where we were meant to be. And this system is sort of almost gently supposed to dissolve as we come to say, you know what, we're going to take the responsibility ourselves. We're going to learn this basic knowledge. And holy moly, we've got this technology of blockchain that will allow this higher level of consciousness to actually be slated in and lift that consciousness. And as the consciousness changes, all the institutions on this planet change as well. Mm-hmm. So, so in a sense, we are freer and richer than we think, basically. Oh, in many yes. ways. <laughs> we are truly like the, the, you know, the parable or the story of the 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 king who sits on the box uh-huh. with the key to the vault, you know, uh-huh. and begs at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, we, 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 abundance is, is actually here. This is why it's the dawn of the new abundant world, because nothing needs to be done except to have a shift of perspective mm-hmm. and then to have the pragmatic knowledge as to how to use the blueprint of money correctly and start bringing it into our societies. And I want to talk about cryptocurrency. For me, uh, um, that is my son embraces it, and he's a teen, and he's he's telling me to 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 look into it. And I am a bit hesitant because I am probably also stuck in a, in an older way of thinking, a traditional way, and one of like security and scarcity, most likely too. So, um, what uh, what can he do, and how can I personally overcome my fear of it too? You know, the best way to overcome is to start do is to start experiencing something, right? Yeah. And the thing with cryptocurrencies, and this is not a financial recommendation or any type of advice that way, but when one wants to learn about something, the best thing is to try it. <laughs> and it can be done with the littlest of money. It can be done with $5, $10, um, anything that you're willing to lose. <laughs> um, the beauty is that uh, it blockchain, uh, you know, Bitcoin is actually a very simple concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't call it money. 
And even though I think it's been a wonderful advancement because it opens our minds that we can recreate our exchange systems, but it's in my mind, it's digital gold. Right? <laughs> so it's sort of the epitome of the old system, which said money has to be scarce to have value. And that was even the trigger for me that began this amazing journey to write this beautiful book, The End of Scarcity, was that I sat down um, and opened an economics textbook in a long time, working on a master's degree. And I read the first tenet was money has to be scarce to have value. And I thought, oh boy, we're in trouble. We're living in an abundant universe. Um, this is not true. But we also come from the polarized thinking that then that means it should be unlimited. That's also not true. Yeah. Money itself should be flexible. The quantity should be shifting in demand, um, in quantity rather, representing how much real supply and demand we have. Now, Bitcoin, on the other hand, says there'll only be 21 million Bitcoin by 2040 when they're all fully mined and they're all fully circulating. And um, so people are trusting it like digital gold. And it may prevail. It may do beautifully. Governments will probably regulate it. Governments could outlaw it. So the money could all be lost. Um, but at the same point in time, in my personal belief, that's unlikely. I think it will probably survive and, um, and become a, a reasonable store of value. And it also shows how much the community of Bitcoin itself, um, how passionate they are about it. And they safeguard that community. Mm -hmm. And uh, do, do you think like uh, that's why they're hesitant and we just with time, we can kind of like accept it and embrace it more because there's still a lot of mistrust and doubt about it. Well, there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of different angles that it gets talked about. Mm -hmm. So in its purest form, you know, there are lots of meetup groups about Bitcoin or mm -hmm. um, I used to speak at uh, blockchain conferences over the past few years. And um, so there are lots of opportunities to learn. But I think because no one really knows that the governments have been vague about the regulation mm -hmm. and regulation will come. I think that's also important. Um, because you have to have some sense of knowing that where you're put, you're storing your wealth, that it has, that we're following laws. <laughs> but um, it's it's on the blockchain, which becomes an open source, meaning anyone can look at it, accounting book. <laughs> and that accounting book can't be changed. So it, it creates this beautiful system of being able to document things that, again, humanity has never had this opportunity before. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I'm kind of curious also the importance of spirituality here in your ideas and coming up with the book. And you talked about how you were inspired by it, but I, I'm really curious to know that that aspect too of that angle is something I'm also very passionate about. So how would you say that fits into your the spirituality, your views with uh, uh, the views expressed in your book? Absolutely. You know, when I was a little girl, um, I, I, you know, I was in love with the wonderment of life mm -hmm. and I was lucky enough to have a father who um, made me earn my allowance explaining the stock market to him and interest rates. Mm -hmm. So I always thought money was sort of this wonderful kind of thing. And, um, and a friend, you know, it was something that was like a beautiful kind of spirit who was here to help us. And when I, um, I, it was sort of even surprising to me in my early 20s that I started at Merrill Lynch as a financial advisor. And I thought, oh, I would go to the Peace Corps or I would become a lawyer for civil rights. <laughs> when I sat with my first client, I saw how much angst and shame and really sort of heavy emotions they had about money. 
Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I could help them be empowered. Mm-hmm. And I, I fell in love with my uh, career and my company and the opportunities to really use markets to empower people and to help them understand money so that they would feel supported to realize their dreams. And when 2008 came, I was lucky enough to see the financial crisis ahead of time. And even though I got clients out of the market and these kinds of things, um, I, when it fell apart, I saw there was something missing in my worldview. And I was so heartbroken at the decimation. And I spent a solid nine months trying to learn what was it that I was missing And this is what I stumbled on. I stumbled on the idea. I had no idea how money was created. I had no idea how it really came into the society. And this is when I learned that there was never the right amount of money in society. And the American dream was actually the ephemeral carrot that we were forever chasing because of the money, because the money was misdesigned. And I was so heartbroken at that point, that I was really depressed for almost nine months. I I couldn't even empower my own dreams because I knew that everyone else it it, it was sort of a feudalist system hiding in the in the back. And then this sent me on this incredible journey. So the book takes the reader through this incredible journey of revelation to find out exactly with me how we learned where the scarcity comes from and then how we can solve this. And when we solve this, the whole world changes and these beautiful things that we pursue, um, whether it's with spiritual aspects, um, that the greater knowing, it truly becomes possible even on this domain in this platform. Mm -hmm. I love that. So it's like the pursuit of happiness too. When we're chasing happiness, we don't realize we actually already have it and we're quite happy already. So it's just always something that we we put outside of ourselves that we need to attain, but it's already within us. So I I find that quite fascinating. And how important was like uh, traveling across the world, your your trips and so on for inspiring you in, in that aspect? Well, you know, I was so determined to find the answer. I I truly don't think that I could have really just lived knowing that this incredible problem was existing and operating behind us, you know, because when money is created as debt, this, this scarcity, this illusion of scarcity, not, it it takes over our entire lives. Mm -hmm. The the second chapter is called the seven debt strings. Mm -hmm. And we end up being controlled because we have to have debt. We have to get any job. We don't have that space to really hear the calling. And we have to consume mindlessly because we have to go into debt. We have to repay the debt. And we're on the hamster wheel living for the debt machine just in order to have money to use in a society. So um, I was going to go wherever the economists were who were talking about this, wherever the visionaries were and the money reformers. And um, it didn't really mind, you know, I wasn't of a great mind. I was going to book that ticket and say, hey, what were you talking about on page 67? We have to find the answer. Mm-hmm. And I think there's also a shift from generation to generation because I know for parents here, my parents would like always say like, okay, money is important. Find a job that brings in money. And now uh, myself, I'm not really following that advice because for me, it's like what I do is more important than how much uh, money I get from it because that will work itself out. And I think we are moving in that direction of, as you're saying, the vocation of like really doing something you love and then the rest will take care of itself. 
That's right. That's right. You know, originally the word job meant uh, meant to steal from someone, you know, to sort of um, trick them. And um, vocation being vocare, the calling is really hearing and nurturing the area to serve. And once we sort of get through this threshold, this will be the existential kind of crisis or opportunity for the gift is to find that calling. Um, the, the thing I will say, though, is that, you know, and it, it could come from either end. So this beauty of how you are focusing on service and the more people that catch this will bring about this revelation of the mechanics of money. But um, the, the, the change, the revolution in money has to occur. Mm -hmm. because if it doesn't occur, we will create a totalitarian society. Um, so we're sort of on that, you know, yeah. all of list, you know, either the darkest of times and the best of times. And I still say, what the heck, um, it's going to bring the best of times, but let's, let's learn this information and join together so we can actually make the change through inspiration rather than pain. <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, you did mention at the beginning that you're an optimist. And uh, that's something that strongly resonates with me, too. I think, I mean, you, you have to be, I mean, uh, you have to have the best uh, view, the best like option in mind, and then work towards it and make others see it too. And it's, uh, I find a lot of people just uh, limit themselves, get trapped, get bogged down. And really, there is a way of, of coming out of it. There really is. And, and I would even say it's forgiveness of self and forgiveness of other. Absolutely. You know, and of course, gratitude, gratitude and forgiveness, yeah. which are probably two ends of one stick. And um, because then we're grateful, we're grateful for all the difficulties because the challenges become the gifts with enough energy, with enough gratitude. And even when we examine this top of money, topic of money, one of the reasons why I wanted to really be a new voice in this and, and consolidate this information is that many times when you go to learn this information, it's presented in a way that's quite hopeless mm -hmm. or quite difficult to process. Or people will say, who are these bad people that create these systems that way? Or let's get rid of the Federal Reserve and these things. Mm -hmm. And I say, you know what? They are actually part of us right? And, you know, as much as we're unique individuals, we're also all connected as part of the whole. And these hierarchical pyramidal systems still created a certain level of stability, a certain level of certainty, and, um, and we're exemplary of the level of consciousness that we had. And so even if we were to get rid of them today, well, new organizations of that same frequency would come to handle that level of, of consciousness, that level of stability we need. Now, as we see that we were the chick in the egg needing that stability, and now we're growing and we're beginning to peck away at that shell. Oh my goodness, we're pecking away at our structure. We're going to reintegrate all of what we think is an enemy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was just an extension of myself, or I find that microcosm in my own life. Mm -hmm. And everyone will be able to play on these systems together. And I think it's, it's service, as you mentioned, service is very important, but also gratitude that you mentioned as well. So it's for me, it's like now, just, just now I got this image of like, you know, you're doing somebody a favor and they pay you, but that's kind of like a card or a thank you note. And to, to see it that way, instead of seeing it just like the money itself, like I just met this much of money, a random number, instead seeing the interaction between two. And then we're not isolated. We are all interconnected, as you're saying. 
That's right. One of my favorite parts in the end of scarcity, um, as we're really learning about the mechanics of money, uh, the, the, we look at equations. Um, little kids are actually putting equations together mm -hmm. and there's three plus four, a seven, a two, you know, one plus two and a three. And they, as they link the equations together, an equal sign pops up. And then often I'll say to people in, in the equation, two plus five equals seven, where's the money? And most people don't really know what the answer is, but it's the equal sign. Where is the wealth? It's the two plus five and the seven. So the giver and the 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 um, the seller and the buyer are equal. The giver and the taker are equal. And money simply comes into existence when we have a match. We don't have to go out and dig up equal signs. You know, when we have a hundred equations that match, we don't have to make sure we have a hundred equal signs. We create those equal signs. So this is that whole revolution when we start to see, wow, it's it's about the wonderment and the awe of this experience, this incredible um, new experience that I, I I actually can do these things or I can fail and I can try again. And um, when we recreate our systems of exchange, when we properly design money, it supports this. And the emphasis is on the contribution and the receipt of the contribution. And the money is just, you know, it's the, just helping us do the tally of what is still needed at this level of consciousness. And, and I'm just now reevaluating here the relationship between the employee and the employer. And so they're on equal footing because the employee is giving the service and the employer is giving them money as thanks. But we don't see it that way. And the employer often thinks they're the boss and you're their slave. So they're superior to you and they are helping you out by giving you money, basically like uh, uh, as a form of charity, perhaps. But it's not like that. And it shouldn't be like that. It's not like that at all. In fact, everything is a joint venture. Mm -hmm. You know, even when we go into examples where um, we're in a store or we're bidding out different services, mm -hmm. the person who has the money in hand seems to have the upper hand. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as the center service is rendered and now the person who gave it has the money, they seem to have the upper hand. This is all a contortion and illusion of scarcity. Mm -hmm. In fact, we're totally equal. One cannot exist without the other. And why would we want to? Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you so much for an awesome discussion, a fascinating one. Your book is The End of Scarcity, The Dawn of the New Abundant World. Uh, Kristen Raggison, you are an author, wealth management consultant, certified digital currency professional, occasional mountain climber, and, uh, and many more. So thank you so much for being on Rash as well. Much. Thank you so much. And people can find more information at kristenragason.com. And the book is at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, everywhere. Thank you so much for joining me on this beautiful mission. Thank you for being here.